thousand children option that, that God um, next week did come and he's going to talk about dating which can lead to the family you might be thinking of. That's not what I want to talk to you about tonight. Instead, I want to talk about this idea that one part of becoming an adult is learning to relate well to your family. Not as a child any longer, but as a young adult and a maturing adult and an adult. And I don't want to talk about you getting married and having kids. That If you choose to do that, go for it. If you choose singleness, go for that. Instead, I want to talk about two types of family that every single one of us has that we continue to relate to even when we grow up and get out on our own. And if we can learn to do that well, and learn to love them well and honor them well, then we're stepping into adulthood. So two types of families. The first is your first family, right? Even think of this as like um, your, your physical family, right? The family you were born into, the family you might have been adopted into perhaps, but kind of your biological or adoptive family of origin. All right, how many of you are going to go spend time with family for Thanksgiving? How many of you, there's at least a hint of like, not full excitement, this could be weird, I'm kind of worried about how that's going to go. Yeah, of course, right? Because you're not a child anymore. And you're in this kind of in-between season as you're growing into, you're doing something sociologists would call differentiating. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. You're becoming your own person. You're learning what you think and what you want, how you, what you value and how you want to operate. And you're doing that for the most part without your family. So they're not here watching all of this. And you're kind of growing. And so when you come home, it can be a little weird. Um, some of us, whether we raised our hands or not, might dread was a place of wounding or brokenness or neglect or abuse, right? And if that's you tonight, I want you to know that, that that's real and that a part of the work of God in our lives is helping us heal from things like that, right? And, and sometimes that's a long journey where we put in a lot of work and We're not always sure if other people are going to put in work to do that, right? Regardless, family can be confusing and family can be a little bit weird. And the good news is that's not just true for me and it's not just true for you. It was true for Jesus. One of the unique things about about following a Savior who is also human is that he can understand what we are going through. And this is true. He had a complicated relationship with his family especially when at age 30, which was a Jewish age of like full maturity, go get it, you know, kind of go do your thing. Jesus steps into public ministry and things get a little weird with his first family. Let me show you two examples. The first is in John chapter two. Three days later, a wedding took place in the city of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had been invited too. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They're out of wine. And then apparently like stared at him or gave him this idea that like, so you should fix this. This is your responsibility. And Jesus says, "Um, why did you come to me? My time has not come. Yet his mother told the servers, just do whatever he tells you. So anybody here feel like their parents were a little overly involved in their lives at some points? Yeah. Here's Jesus, 30 years old, out on his own leading a world-changing movement, or at least a fledgling world-changing movement. And there's his mom like, hey, Jesus, you should fix this. Hey, Jesus, you should do a miracle. He hasn't done a miracle yet. 
spoiler alert, he's actually going to do his first miracle because his mom is there saying, hey, this is your moment. Step on up. So if you feel like mom and dad have been way too involved, Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Now, later, at traveling and teaching, he's drawing big crowds. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's getting into these conflicts with the religious leaders of his, of his day because he's speaking, you know, about the kingdom of God in kind of an open, free way that they really weren't ready for. He's called his own disciples, and, like, he's a full-fledged rabbi. And we get this in Mark 3. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this before, but if you've ever had hard family moments, Jesus knows what that's like. Then Jesus went home. Another crowd gathered so that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. Like, so many people want to come. So many people want to hear. So many people are just pressing in that, like, they don't even have time to take a break. There's no bathroom break. There's no, you know, break for, for brunch or, or dinner. Like, it's just full-on crowds. And his family sees this, and their first reaction is not to cheer. Their first reaction is he has lost his mind. Who does he think he is? So they go to get him. When it says they go to get him, it's like, let's bring our crazy child home and see if we can get them to heal up and get right in their head again. Now, this is the same mother who was visited by the angel and, you know, was told as a virgin she'd have this child that would become the savior of the world. She's heard prophecies about the boy. Um, she had that encounter with him at 12 in Jerusalem when he stayed behind in the temple. And he's like, of course I'm in my father's house. And yet in this moment, she, her, her faith is kind of wavering. She's like, man, I, this is getting away from him. We need to rein him in. And at the same time, the experts in Moses' teachings who had come from Jerusalem, these are the people with, you know, the credentials, and they write the books, and these are the important leader-type people. They're saying, like, the devil is in him. Like, he's able to cast out demons because he's in league with them. Family is complicated. And yet Jesus honors his first family. He follows what was taught to him as a good Jew, your father and mother, that things may go well with you. He follows what's taught in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, that children, even in the New Testament, continue to obey your parents. This is a commandment with a promise. Like, this is one of the big ten. And Jesus honors his first family. Two examples of that. Back to John 2. His mother tells the servers, do whatever he tells you. And then we're told six stone water jars were there. They were used for Jewish purification rituals. Each jar held 18 to 27 gallons. Jesus told the servers, fill the jars with water. Then the servers filled the jars to the brim. And Jesus said to them, pour some and take it to the person in charge. The servers did as they were told. And the person in charge tasted the water that had become wine. First miracle of Jesus. Why do you think he did that? I mean, he told his mom, mom, gosh, like it's not my time. Why are you pushing me? And yet he ends up doing the miracle. Why? Well, maybe the father said, Jesus, you should do this. Maybe he felt compassion on this young couple and their family who ran out of, you know, party supplies and he wants to help. Or maybe he knew that he's there and his mother's there and there's like a family relation and he decides, I'm just going to honor this request my mom has made of me. At the end of Jesus' life, he's hanging on a cross. For nothing he had done, for everything we had done, 
and he's struggling to breathe, which is really how crucifixion usually killed you. It's like slow death by suffocation often. And so the scriptures record seven different times that Jesus endures pain to kind of push himself up on the nails in his feet and speak words. And one of those seven words is about his first family. John 19, verse 25, Jesus' mother, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary from Magdala were standing beside Jesus' cross. Hey, Mary had moments where her faith wavered, but she's there at the end. And Jesus looks down and leans on those nails, resting kind of between the bones, pushes up, and he says this. He said to his mother, look, here's your son. He's talking about the disciple whom he loved, John. The apostle John's there. Then he says to, to John, the disciple, look, here's your mother. From that time on, she lived with that disciple in his home. Jesus was the oldest son in his family. He knows he's not long for this world. And there in his mind is this, I need to honor my mother. I need to take care of my mother. While he's bearing the sins of all humanity, he's honoring his mom. Now, I would suggest to you, um, if you find yourself in a spot where you're a follower of Jesus, and you may not be tonight, and if you're not, we're thrilled you're here. Like, we, we welcome people who are in process and have questions and uh, just want to come and try to figure it out. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you have family that aren't, or you have family, people are like, so is your, your family, are they in faith? And you're like, eh, like they kind of believe, but we really, they don't do anything with it, right? I, I know I talk to you and I hear those conversations. If that's you, it's particularly important to honor your first family and to love them well. In fact, it's a part of your witness of the goodness of the good news of Jesus. And I know this because at 18, actually at 17, I became a follower of Jesus. I wasn't raised in the church. Um, I believed in Jesus like I believe that there are like planets like Mars and Neptune. And like it was just some fact that had nothing to do with me. And then after I got out of high school, I realized that I'd look for life in a lot of places and I'd found none. And then I started to open the Bible that somebody had given me, and I started to read the scriptures, and I heard Jesus say, look, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you purpose. I've come to give you meaning. And I said, Jesus, I want that, and I want you. And he changed my life. And my family was still doing the same thing. And here I was at 18, man. I thought I'd figured it all out. I thought I knew it. And I felt this personal responsibility. I want my family to have what I found. And so I may have been just talking to them, right? And they were seeing changes. Like before, I was living for one set of things, and now I was living for a different set of things. And the more I got to know Jesus, the more I made the mistake of beginning to distance myself from my family because I felt more comfortable around people who knew Jesus, and they didn't. People who knew Jesus had the same kind of values, and they were pursuing the same things, and my family, just that wasn't their thing. I started showing up less and less, started caring less and less about what was going on in their lives. So about a year into that, I went to Bible college, felt this call to like serve my life vocationally, spend my life, uh, you know, helping other people hear about Jesus. And so I got all this great biblical training and I would come home and you know what I'd try to do? Talk to my family about Jesus. My junior year of college, I'm four years into this walk of faith. I think I'm probably 21 at this point. And my mom says to me, in one of my, like, trying to convince her to believe what I've come to believe, she says, and this is a loose quote, she says, 
basically, Fred, why would I believe all you're saying about Jesus when you're not even a good son? Now, I wasn't like disrespectful. I wasn't stealing anything from my family, but I had begun to distance myself. So I was much more comfortable with the other kind of family we're going to talk about tonight, like that forever family of faith. And I showed up less, and I called less, and I asked less. And even though my mom, was she a believer in Jesus? I'm not judging that. Even though she was not walking out a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit used her words and spoke to my heart. And I realized that the best witness I could be to her was first as just a loving son who showed up and a loving son who served and a loving son who cared and a loving brother as well. So if that's you and you're like, man, my family, they just don't get it, I want to tell you that loving and honoring them is crucially important. So from my mom's wisdom, um, let me offer you kind of some, some ideas about how to do that. First, family. First, stay connected. Like, stay connected. And I would encourage you, be the one who calls or texts sometimes. Like, families tend to fall into patterns Like, well, she always calls, or he always texts, or they always check in. If that's your pattern, like, my parents always call. Now, you be the one who just says, hey, how are you doing today? Hey, what's going on? Like, hey, I I know you had that big meeting. How'd it go, right? Stay connected. The second thing I would encourage you to do is just stay curious. Like, care about what's happening in their lives. We were in staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and and one of our team... uh, named Christy, said this. She said, the Holy Spirit convicted me that my family knew my whole life because they raised me and they watched me grow up, and I only knew about 18 years of theirs. And so I realized, like, I need to know, like, how did my mom grow up and how did my dad grow up and what what are their hopes and dreams? And she said, "I, I just got real curious, and I just started to ask questions. And then the third thing I would encourage you with is stay humble. I am confident that each and every person in this room is smart and has gifts and talents and abilities and a calling from the Lord. Man, if we could collect, if God would show us in advance all the incredible things you're going to accomplish in this world and we stacked them up, it would be like this heap of praises. And you're inexperienced. And that's not your fault. You're 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 or 22. You've only had so much time to have so many experiences. And the people at home, some of them have been living twice or three or four times as long as you have. And even though you may be learning new things, and even though you will always be better at technology than they are, right? Like, all they know how to do is turn it off and turn it back on again. That's their only hope. They also know things you do not know yet. So I'm 52, which feels weird to say out loud because when I look at myself in the mirror aside from the balding and the wrinkling, and yet I hear stories like twice in the last month. Somebody's told me stories about people in their 20s and they're like, man, you got to hear what's happening with so-and-so and they get about halfway through and I'm like, let me tell you how it ends. It goes like bing, bing, bing and they're like, how did you know? And I'm like, because I've heard this story for the last 30 years. It's not because I'm smart. I just have the benefit of more experience. So here's what I mean by this. As you're coming back to your family, you've got thoughts and dreams and plans, and I'm not telling you, I'm not even going to say your parents need to sign off on everything, but I'm saying it might be wise to say, hey, mom, what do you think about that? Like, since you've lived two or three times longer than me, 
Or here's a question, like you might want to jot this down. A beautiful question of humility with your family is this. Hey, what am I missing here? Like, here's my plan. What am I missing? And it doesn't mean you don't have a plan or that you're not going to live your plan. It's just saying those in your family, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, may have perspective that you just have not had the opportunity to have yet. Right? But that kind of humility that just says, hey, I'm growing, I'm learning, but God's not done with me and I don't know it all. Like maybe God would speak through them. Like God spoke through my mom to change my heart. So your first family. And becoming an adult doesn't mean you completely disconnect and they're on their own and thanks and we'll see you, you know, when you die, I'll be at your funeral. No, you continue to love and honor them. There's a second kind of family that you have to uh, really learn to lean into and love if you want to adult well, and it's your forever family, right? This is your spiritual family that you kind of inherit when you're born again into the kingdom of Jesus. You not only get a relationship with God, you get an extended family of brothers and sisters and spiritual mothers and fathers and weird aunts and uncles sometimes, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. If that's a weird concept to you, is there somebody in your life that you are not technically related to that you may us have somebody like that? Yeah, you do. And you might even say, aunt so-and-so. And if I said, well, who are they? You're like, yeah, yeah, we're not related, but they're like my aunt. My wife right now is in Minnesota visiting a lady who when she was your age, my wife was your age, it, this lady was like her second mom. This week, one of my team, uh, our staff team said, yeah, that's my Kentucky mom. They're from another state. But like here, there's been a lady they viewed as family they've reached out to. Right? And you guys, are, you're building relationships. This is so exciting for me to get to see as an old guy. You're building relationships right now with people in this room that are like family. So our own Warren Bryant on staff got married two weekends ago. Yeah, I did. Warren, thank you for having your outdoor wedding on a very warm weekend. That was incredibly kind and generous of you. We really appreciate that. And we're at the wedding, and we're at that point where, like, you know, they're all, at, like, Warren and Katie are at the head table, and the bridesmaids who look great, and the groomsmen who look fantastic, and people are giving toasts. And every groomsman who got up to give a toast said something about Warren like this, like, I love you like a brother. Like, we're not technically related, but we've become family. And the ladies who got up to talk about Katie basically said, like, you've been a sister to me. So even if you don't get spiritual family, you already have relationships with people. There's no DNA that you share. There's no legal adoptive thing, but like you're like family, right? We know what that's like. Well, as we follow Jesus, we not only get a relationship with him and his father, we get this big, beautiful, messy, extended family. Here's Jesus in Mark chapter 3 again. Like this is when his family comes to collect him, and it's really weird and kind of tense. This is how that story ends in Mark 3, 31 to 35. Then his mother and brothers arrived, and they stood outside because nobody's given up their seat like in the Jesus thing, right? Like you, you got to nobody can get in. So they kind of send word like, hey, would you tell Jesus like his family's here? Thinking that he'll do what? Like he'll hop right up and run right out. But Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He looks at the crowd sitting around him and he says, well, who's my mother and who are my brothers? 
Then looking at those who sat around him, he said, here is my mother, and here are my brothers, and my father and my sister. My family, yes, I have a first family. Yes, on the cross, he's going to honor his mother. But my family also is anybody who decides they want to do the will of God. Like, we are related. Now, chances are, if you've been around church, you've read the Bible, this is not a new idea to you, right? You've kind of heard this idea before. But I wonder if we take it seriously enough. In fact, I've come to believe I don't take it seriously enough. This is not just like a warm, feel-good rhetoric, like, hey, you know, you're like a brother to me. No, no. You have a family, an extended family, and I have an extended spiritual family. And the way we relate to them isn't just like, hey, I kind of like you. No, it's like, hey, I'm going to love you like I would love my own. Two quick examples, Romans 12.10. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel in showing respect for each other. Paul's advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Never use harsh words when you correct an older man, but talk to him as if he were your what? Father. Talk to younger men as if they were your brothers. Older women as if they were your mothers. And younger women as if they were your sisters while keeping yourself morally pure. Paul's telling this young pastor Timothy, this is your family. You relate to them like this. This isn't just a feel-good, warm, and fuzzy title. Like This is something to be lived out in a deep web of connected relationships. So, do we take this seriously enough? Do we believe that we actually can't follow Jesus without somehow being a Let me show you two passages in the book of Hebrews that I think are very interesting. You may want to look at these more on your own later. It's Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to show you a few verses. And then Hebrews chapter 3. And they both speak about not just like, oh, yeah, like we're spiritually related, but they talk about the way we ought to behave as family and how important my relationship with you is to my relationship with God. Let me show you, and we'll talk a little bit more. This is Hebrews 10. Uh, Hebrews 10, around verse 19, talks about, like, everything Jesus has done for us. Like, he's covered us with his blood, and we're free, and we're forgiven, and we're made holy. And then about halfway through verse 22, it shifts into our response. So in light of the love of God and the mercy of Jesus, how do I live? Halfway through verse 22, you get this. So we must continue to come to him with a sincere heart and a strong faith. We must continue to hold firmly to our declaration of faith. The one who made the promise is faithful. Like, Jesus loves us. He's so good to us. We need to keep pursuing him. And then you get this around verse 24. We must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and do good things. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. Like God's been so good, so lean in and hold tight to him, and we have to encourage each other. Well, how are we going to encourage each other if we don't know each other? How are we going to support each other if we're not open with each other? Like, we have to. We should not stop gathering together. And he almost says, like, every day you're closer to Jesus' return, this dial ought to turn up just to click. The closer you get to him coming back, the more the family of God should be connected. Now, again, like, I get it, Fred, but isn't it mostly about my relationship with God? I'm not so sure. 
I'm not sure we really can have a relationship with God without all of God. He seems pretty convinced that's connected. And in fact, some of the work that God wants to do for you is going to come through the people around you. Let me show you Hebrews 3. This is one of those passages. I try to spend most days, I try to spend some time in the morning just reading from the word. And some days it's like, okay, I was faithful and I showed up and nothing, you know, leapt out at me and I'll journal a little bit. And then there are other days where it's like, oh my goodness, how have I not seen this before? This is, this is incredible. This is amazing. And I want to show you a passage that struck me that way recently. This is Hebrews chapter 3. If you go to Hebrews 3, you're going to hear God repeat himself twice in pretty quick order, which I want to suggest to you, anytime you see repetition in the scriptures, it, it says this, pay attention. If God's going to say it twice, he does not want you to miss it. So in verse 7, you get this, as the Holy Spirit says, if you hear God speak today, don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn like those who rebelled and tested me in the desert. He's referencing the nation of Israel when they didn't have the faith to enter the promised land. They end up wandering for 40 years. Okay, but here's the warning. God's going to speak to you. And he might speak through your one-on-one -on -one time in the scripture. He might speak in your core group. He might speak when we open the Bible up together. He might speak to you through the Holy Spirit in your life. He might speak to you from somebody around you. When God speaks, don't harden your heart. Don't be stubborn. Like, these people in the desert had seen miracles. They'd been freed from slavery. God parted the Red Sea for them, and they still hardened their hearts toward God. So don't, don't, like, warning, caution, careful. Go down to verse 15. God says the exact same thing again. Uh, man, I have that there. But he does. He says exactly the same thing in verse 15. And I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. And in between those two warnings are two verses I want to show you because I believe in this passage, they're the answer to not hardening our heart. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 12, you get this warning again. Be careful, brothers and sisters, familial language, right? That none of you ever develop a wicked, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Be careful because, look, it's a fight and it's a struggle every day to, to continue to walk a, a life and run a race of faith. Be careful that none of you, because anybody can develop, like it's a process developing this wicked, hard, unbelieving heart that turns away. Okay, got it. Three warnings in like eight verses. This is important. I get it. What should I do about it? How do I keep from hardening my heart? What's the answer to making sure that I stay on track with my faith? This is faith. This is verse 12. Verse 12. <clears throat> Encourage each other every day while you have the opportunity. If you do this, none of you will be deceived by sin and become stubborn. I'm struck by what it doesn't say. Read your Bible more. Memorize scripture. Fast a bunch. Serve without wanting any credit. The Bible says those things in other places. They're all good. Give to the poor. No, no, no. In Hebrews 3, the answer to don't harden your heart is this. Stay connected to each other. Speak into each other's lives because when you're on your own, you can fool yourself. When you're on your own, you can deceive yourself. Right? We've all gotten in trouble with, with our friends following the crowd, but we've also had moments by ourselves where we made decisions and gone, man, if I hadn't been alone, I 
probably would have made a different decision. And the answer is this. So this is what you've got to do. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. How do we love and honor our forever family? Let me just make some guesses and some suggestions based on Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 3, which you really should read on your own this week. Here's the first thing I would say. you got to find your people. Like, yes, every other believer in Jesus in the whole world, but the whole world can't encourage you, can't support you, and you can't support and encourage the whole world, so you've got to find your people. In the Bible, I think this was easier because in each of these towns, like you read about the book of Ephesians and the ancient town of Ephesus, the book of Philippians in the town of Philippi, Colossians, the town of Colossae, there was one church. You didn't look up and figure out which church to join. There was one. Those were your people. Today, it's like, well, there's how many campus ministries and how many churches in Lexington. So find your people. And if those people aren't here, that's okay. Like, we're not the only expression of Jesus on this campus. But find your people. Because the whole world can't know you or encourage you. Like, we say all and over and over again, like, we want CSF to feel smaller as you get to know other people and get connected and get into groups. The second thing I would say is you got to open up and speak up. How can I encourage you if I don't know what you're going through? How can you speak into me and, and encourage me to move away from hardening my heart if I never tell you what I'm dealing with or what God's saying to me? Right? you got to open up. you got to speak up. you got to be willing to pray for each other. And then the third thing I would say is this. Stay committed. Like both of those passages say daily or even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Like stay committed. I'm not suggesting that the people you share life with right now spiritually are the only people you can do that with forever. But you got to stay committed. And I ask myself, like how far would I go to do that? Like most of the time if you said, Fred, what would you do for your daughter? Anything. What would you do for your wife? Anything. What would you do for your son? Anything. What would I do for my spiritual family? How committed am I to letting people in and getting to know them? So we had a missionary couple. Uh, they, they serve in uh, Thailand. Uh, join us this summer. Actually, both missionaries. The husband was hanging around worship here. We had a worship night in the summer, and he was just hanging around. And um, he, he used to be a student where you are. He used to sit, not here, across the street, but he was a CSF student, and now he's a 40-year-old dad in Thailand running a, helping run a school and doing ministry. And he and his wife came and spoke to our staff this summer, um, kind of as a, like, tell us about your work in the kingdom and, and what God's doing and what he's teaching you. And he, he told us about his work and all the ways he'd seen God change lives and what was really hard. And when we said, somebody said, what's really hard? And he said, it's really hard finding community. The closest English-speaking believers are two hours away. And my wife and I are trying to figure out how to keep driving to stay connected to them. And I thought, man, how foolish am I? No, i got to find exactly the right group where I vibe with everybody. And it has to be at the right time. And I'm only really going to say what I'm comfortable with. This guy's going to drive two hours to just have a hope of sitting across from somebody else who believes in Jesus so they can support and encourage each other. Because a key part of adulting is relating to family. And not just your family that you may have someday, but the family you already have, the first family. 
and your forever family. And as you're headed out to Thanksgiving, I just really want to encourage you to ask the Lord, okay, Lord, so what do I do about that? Maybe it means you go home to your first family and you just decide, like, I'm just going to ask some questions. Or I'm going to tell my parents what I'm thinking about, you know, that thing I'm scared to tell them because I want to change majors. Or I'll join the CSF staff or do something crazy like that. And maybe I'll even say, like, what do you think? What am I missing? What, what can't or don't I know yet? Or maybe the Lord's saying to you, hey, when you get back from Christmas break, you already have people you're connected. You already have a shift group. You already have a core group. You already have a non-official group of people who know Jesus that hangs out together. I'm just going to lean in. Like, I'm going to open up. I'm going to share. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to encourage. I'm, man, if I see my brother or sister going the wrong way, I'm going to say, look, I love you. And it feels like that's dangerous. Like, is that really what you want to do? I'm just going to be committed, right? So as we always do when we open up the Lord's word, it's like a couple questions, Lord, what are you saying and what should I do? So as you're growing into young adulthood, as you're growing into mature adulthood, man, loving family and honoring them is important. So be asking God, God, how do I do that in this season? So um, I know that for some of us, family is very painful, right? And, and maybe you're like me. You're like, you know what? My family's not the problem. It's me, like I was as a junior in college. Like, I'm the one who's distanced myself from my family. I need to humble myself and go be a good son or daughter. Maybe you've got some wounds, and even just talking this much about family tonight has brought them to the surface. Maybe the Lord's saying something else to you, and you need somebody to encourage you, and we have a prayer team. So they're going to be, because it's like 30 degrees out, instead of being right outside, they're going to be in the house tonight, in the living room. They'll have lanyards on. And uh, whatever reason you need prayer for, they would love for you to come find them and just let them pray for you and pray with you and pray over you, all right? Let me ask the band to come, and as they're, as they're coming, I want to pray, and uh, we just want to continue to be open to what the Lord wants to say and what he wants to do tonight. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for a chance to hear from you. Uh, thank you for a chance to open your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's true that you really understand us. Even though we live 2,000 years later, Lord, you know even the pain that family can bring, what it's like for them to doubt us or think we've lost our minds or or to want to be overly involved. And yet, Lord Jesus, you show us how important family is, whether it's the family we're born or adopted into or whether it's the family that we were born again into. Lord Jesus, would you teach us how to love and honor them well? and just show us a next step that we could take to live into this more. That we might honor and love the people we call family. So Lord, have your way. Do your work. Um, Lord, I know we have students here who are under a lot, just a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure. Some from the outside, some from the inside. I've asked students, you know, over the last couple of weeks about what's due and there are projects and there are tests and there's graduation on the line for some of them. And so I just want to pray, Lord, that you would give them what they need to be able to finish well, whether that's ideas for papers, whether that's rest to be able to study well, um, whether that's just the ability to remember what they've already committed to learning. Lord, would you be with them as they're diligent in their studies? Would you bless them? Would you bless them in every way, Lord? I'm asking tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.